midday on the Rural Radio Network, and here we launch into a Thursday edition of it. And welcome to it. All the information that you're going to need regarding ag and sports, weather, news, and it's all rolled up into one neat little ball we call the midday program. And we have all of our headline providers in front of us here. We start off over here on the ag flank of things with Jesse Harding. Well, we have... Farm broadcaster Susan Littlefield in Washington, D.C. for uh, National Corn Growers Association. They're hosting their Corn Congress this week. She is there, and we're going to get a little bit of information from D.C. The Mexican ambassador yesterday spoke to the delegates there at Corn Congress discussing NAFTA, and she'll be with um, Mr. Honeycutt, who is now going to be serving on the NCGA board, discussing what the Mexican ambassador discussed about NAFTA to the delegates. For the 1219, Dewey Nelson is going to be joined with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions, discussing today's market activity and what we're seeing. For the newsmaker, I've decided it must be a little confusing in Senator Tom Brewer's office because we are Joe's talking with his aide, Tony Baker, okay. TB initials. Okay. It must get very uh, stressful see, during monogram money. <laughs> yeah, it could. I could see <laughs> that happening. Yes. Colonel, no. For them. But they're going to talk about right-to-repair legislation here in Nebraska. And then for the 117, I'm with Todd Hilliard. He's a superintendent at Holdred Public Schools. They are currently in the process of working on their beef in the schools program. We're going to talk about where they stand on that. They hope to kick that off this fall. Very good. Thank you, Jesse. Yep. And Jason Jorgensen has sports. Lots of golf to talk about. Pinnacle Bank Championship taking place in Omaha the next four days. This is a stop on the Web.com tour, so it's nice to see professional golf back in the state of Nebraska. 146th British Open is underway. We will give you the lowdown on that. Also in November, when Nebraska and Creighton meet up in women's basketball, it will be a family matter. Well, with the Kissinger sisters from Minden, you have Brooke, who is now, she will be eligible to play for Creighton after she sat out last year transferring. And then you have Taylor. She will be a freshman for the Huskers. So those two were going back and forth last night on Twitter. Uh, my guess <laughs> is right, that right. will continue right up until then. So uh, That could be an entertaining well, little well, rivalry. You bet. That, that, should, that should be good. And uh, we'll also talk to Major League Baseball. And we're all waiting. Pins and needles. There's like uh, 30 networks there. See if the juice is loose yeah. with O.J. Simpson in his parole hearing. <laughs> yeah. What's I'm surprised this. The line on that's pretty good, actually. I'm, kind of oh, I'm sure somebody's laying money on it. I was shocked he's been in jail for nine years. It doesn't seem like it's been that long. Well, for us. <laughs> for him, you're right. It's probably long enough for him. All right. Not well, that anybody feels sorry for him. That's, that's yeah. true. See what's going on in business with Scott Foster today. Thank you very much. Well, stocks are wavering a little bit today after uh, some record-breaking wins yesterday. So we'll see how that goes. Talk a little bit about that. Good news for Sears, something we have not said in quite a while. They've actually, uh, their their stocks jumped 15% after reaching a deal to sell appliances on Amazon. That's because I bought a dishwasher there. That's the reason. Is that what it was? Well, they they did. The business world that calls that the Jason effect. That's right. It's everywhere, isn't it? It's amazing. Well, also, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, if you were a veteran, you can now go online and get the same savings you got at a PX, wherever you were. So no you, kidding. You, they will go to uh, Veteran Verify, and you can get some good prices. Good stuff. Nice. You know, I, I think if there's one thing I missed in life was I should have put in a couple of years. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, you're willing to, to sacrifice. It seems like it pays off a little later on. It does. Absolutely. Americans do appreciate their veterans these days. Yes, we do. Ladies and gentlemen, it's all coming today on Midday. Alec. Paul Perkins is in, and uh, I tell you what, he's all heated up and ready to go just like the rest of us. Today. Yes, so plenty of heat once again across the area. It's going to last uh, today and tomorrow. And here's something to note. It made it up to 113 yesterday at Death Valley, California. Guess who was right behind them? That would be... Valentine. They made it up to 112 yesterday, the runner-up. 112. Not exactly the crown you're aspiring for, but yeah, runner-up to the nation's high in Valentine yesterday at 112. That's what we call a hot (laughs) Valentine. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Uh, Our uh, ag information here, ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. And now... I guess we have a little bit of scattered precipitation up there, but it's not going to help much. No, a little bit of light rain, and you can go ahead and burn that book that you got that joke out of there. A <laughs> little bit of light rain, probably mainly just some sprinkles from O'Neill down to around Greeley this morning, and also from about Ord back to around Broken Bow and North Platte. That rain continuing to dissipate as temperatures continue to warm up. Most of us just in the low and mid-80s, but we do have temperatures already into the low 90s as you head towards the Omaha area. 93 right now in Marysville for the warm spot over Kansas, and 94 at Manhattan. And right along the interstate, it's 97 currently at Salina in central Kansas. A hot subtropical ridge of high pressure over the southern plains going to keep it hot and humid uh, all the way through tomorrow evening. A heat advisory is in effect for feels-like readings up to 109 both today and tomorrow. That remains in effect for south, central, southwest, and northwest Nebraska and northwest Kansas. It was earlier in effect for west central Nebraska, but that has been dropped since the heat and humidity not going to be as dangerous of a combination. Along and south of the line from Omaha to York and Smith Center, we have an excessive heat warning for heat index readings all the way up to 115 all the way through today and tomorrow. The advisory and warnings will remain in effect overnight since there will be little relief as those temperatures slowly cool off at night to the 70s and much of the night those temperatures only in the 80s. A few thunderstorms possible near front across north and west Nebraska late today and tonight. A few of those storms may make it as far as central Nebraska for tonight. A cold front late tomorrow. That will act as a focus for some thunderstorm chances, also bring in some relief from the heat. A few of those storms could be severe. That front will stall just to our south and keep some thunderstorm chances alive all the way through Sunday. Periodic chances of severe weather exist into next week as the weakened high-pressure ridge allows more disturbances to move through and develop some thunderstorms. Those temperatures will cool back to more seasonal levels early next week. But in the long term, it starts to heat back up. That high-pressure ridge remains locked in place over an area that is the driest in the nation right now, eastern Montana and the Dakotas, so it's going to continue to exacerbate those drought conditions there. In our area, that means we'll see warmer than normal temperatures in Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through the 2nd of August, below normal rainfall in the forecast for Nebraska and Kansas Tuesday through August 2nd. In the latest drought monitor, abnormal dryness in west-central and central Nebraska right now, the moderate drought area expanded and includes now most of north-central and a large portion of northeast Nebraska from Mount Greeley to Columbus and points to the northeast. Also moderate drought covering Sydney to Ogallala and Imperial. In south-central Nebraska, some moderate drought covering Knuckles and Thayer County down to Smith Center and Mankato and Junction City in Kansas. 
abnormal dryness in Kansas covering the central, northeast, and the extreme south, central, and southwest. So the dryness conditions are starting to expand across the area. Weather factors in the market today include heat and dryness in the western Midwest and crop-threatening heat and drought in the central and southern plains. Rain will continue to impact the upper Midwest with some of the heaviest rain across the north and east Corn Belt. Only limited drought relief with occasional showers will be found across the northern plains. Late in the week, dry weather will return to the north and west Corn Belt. A strong ridge of high pressure will result in a few more days of hot, humid conditions across a broad area of the central and east U.S., There continues to be a wide variance in rainfall in the Midwest. There's limited rain and above-normal temperatures over the western Midwest, adequate to surplus soil moisture found in the eastern Midwest. Northeastern Iowa and southern Minnesota kind of in the middle. They look to experience some beneficial rain and favorable temperatures. Increased crop stress will be found in the southern plains from hot temperatures and only isolated rain the next few days. There are chances for scattered rain and cooler temperatures in the 6- to 10-day period, but additional episodes of heat likely after that. There was some limited rain in the northern plains that fell in southwest and southern North Dakota and northern and northeast South Dakota, but otherwise the Dakotas and eastern Montana continue to be on the very dry side. Ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, and uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I, w- I had to flip back and forth to see if we were looking at actual temperatures or heat indexes now, because we're already in the upper 90s across parts of uh, the I-70 corridor, 101 right now. On the heat index there, yeah, yes. On Salina, so uh, it's not going to be nice by the end of the day. Nope, it's already getting hot. All right. Very good, thank you very much, Paul, we appreciate it. Again, Holdridge Irrigation bringing you the ag weather, and when you need weather at any moment of the day or night. KRVN.com. Taking a look at agriculture information on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. A speaker at this year's Corn Congress brought a con- conversation to a new level for the delegates. Susan Littlefield has more. With Corn Congress underway in Washington, D.C., variety of topics affecting the industry have been discussed, but one that's brought a lot of attention has been NAFTA. Brandon Honeycutt from Nebraska is one of the delegates sitting on the floor, and he said when the Mexican ambassador talked from the heart, it went a long way for these corn growers. I thought he did a great job. You know, I thought he really hit the, the points well. I think it was some of the, maybe reiterating some things that we probably understood that, hey, you know, when you guys said you wanted to renegotiate NAFTA, we had to make sure we were going to feed our people. And so we are going to look elsewhere, but our ultimate goal is to have a good working relationship with the United States, which is, I know, what the, the U.S. farmer wants, the Nebraska corn farmer wants, is a good working relationship with Mexico because they are our number one trading partner. They are, they are so vitally important to, to Nebraska agriculture that, that we forget about them sometimes. By the way, Brandon was selected to become one of the newest board members for the National Corn Growers Association. I'm Susan Littlefield in Washington, D.C., on the Rural Radio network. The National Milk Producers Federation today applauded the inclusion of improvements both the Dairy Margin Protection Program and the Cotton Program in the Senate Appropriations Committee markup of its fiscal year 2018 Agriculture Appropriations Bill. The Appropriations Bill makes two important changes to the Margin Protection Program that will include National Milk Producers Federation Farm Bill proposal. It would reduce premiums paid by dairy farmers for the first 5 million pounds of milk coverage in the program, as well as change the USDA's calculation of the actual margin from a two-month average margin to monthly. And 
Mullerin, the CEO of National Milk Producers Federation, says, and I quote, by making the dairy safety net programs more affordable, this legislation will ensure that more farmers have access to better protection against catastrophic losses like those we experienced in 2009 and 2012. While there is more work to be made on the margin protection program, an effective safety net that is envisioned to be these improvements are a great start, end of quote. And the state of infrastructure was examined on Capitol Hill yesterday. Shaylee Peters has more. The House Agriculture Committee heard testimony from several different industries that rely on updated rural infrastructure, one of them being land-grant universities. Dr. Thomas Kuhn, Vice President, Division of Agricultural Sciences and Natural Resources with Oklahoma State University, pointed out the importance of reliable rural infrastructure for agriculture's future. The competitiveness of our agriculture sector, the security and safety of our citizens' food supply, and in large part their health, as well as the health of our environment, depends on the research our scientists produce. The challenging investments that the partnership made in our research infrastructure in the 20th century have created a dynamic, innovative, and job-creating food and agriculture industry and a safe and secure food supply today. We owe it to future generations to make the investments that will ensure they benefit from the bounty of our tremendous natural resources and uniquely American collaboration between scientists and the farmers, ranchers, and workers in our nation's food and agriculture systems. More information on this hearing can be found at RuralRadio.com. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters. And Governor Pete Ricketts has appointed Michael Freeman to serve as the Nebraska Brand Committee. And Freeman follows a previous term held by Jerry Kenning and will serve through August of 2020. He's been born and raised in Ainsworth, Nebraska, and has an extensive background in cattle industry, the managing partner in Rolling Stone Feed Yard. That's a look at agriculture information on the Roll Radio Network. When you drive down the street in your new Chevy Corvette from Harkland Road Motors and Imperial, people are going to look at you like you were a pirate in plaid. Everybody's going to be paying attention to you on account of you have just purchased more fun from Sid Harkle Road than any one person should be allowed to have. And with the 2018s on their way to Harkle Roads, the selection will be even better than usual. New vets, classic vets, and the Harkle Road Speed Shop, you just got to be part of this. Online at HarkleRoadMotors.com or call 844-675-9565. Dewey Nelson back on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with Dean Hefta of Water Street Solutions. Dean, we have ourselves this little higher corn and soybean market. I would guess when you're talking the latter that weather is the important uh, first rung or second rung or third rung, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say it's all of those. It's uh, certainly uh, July, and it's all about the weather, and, and the market has been hanging on every every weather model that's come out uh, throughout the day the past couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, right now the biggest concern is, I'd say a couple of things. One is that stretch from, call it southeast Iowa, all the way up into, well, into South Dakota, that whole band in there. We got the latest drought monitor uh, index out again. Continues to expand those dry areas. And when you look at the seven-day outlook for rainfall, a lot of the rainfall that's forecast continues to stay up in that northeast Iowa, Wisconsin, northern Illinois area where they are already saturated. So, you know, maybe we're getting average rainfall this year, but a few are getting all of the rain and the rest are getting none. So we are finding fewer arguments all the time then to counter the worsening crop conditions and somehow bring these prices lower. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a very interesting market. There's there's plenty of challenges in the eastern Corn Belt, Indiana, Ohio, uh, some saturated areas out there. 
Uh, same thing in Wisconsin, northern uh, Illinois. And then some really dry areas as you move into, obviously, Iowa, Nebraska, South Dakota, North Dakota. Uh, but the market has been very resistant to wanting to buy into any real concerns. And I think it's been an issue of not only the amount of old crop corn hanging on the market, uh, in farmers' hands, but uh, a trade that says, you know what, you fooled us two years in a row on summer concerns, and you're going to have to prove that there's actually a problem. And so maybe that rally ends up coming later, um, maybe a late August rally, like you see in years that have deteriorating crop ratings. We're talking with Dean Heft of Water Street Solutions, but the biggest part of this is we don't see wheat playing a part except maybe spreading by the traders. Yeah, you have uh, seen uh, some recent weakness, uh, unwinding of the longs that they built in wheat. And, uh, you know, wheat just has plenty of, of soft wheat supply. Um, but I don't think the wheat story is over. And uh, a lot of that's going to be dependent on some of these issues uh, globally um, because wheat is such a global commodity. And uh, we've just had a nice pullback here. And I would expect this area to, to find some support in the wheat market. And the dollar, I think, is at its lowest level in a year, plus the rise in crude oil or a recent rise in the crude oil futures should have a bearing on the markets as well. Yeah, and you, you, you see all of those factors, which are kind of macro factors, uh, coming together. And if you look at the commodity indexes, uh, there's different indexes you can look at, but it's starting to break out of a bear kind of channel that it's been bouncing down. And so I think there's a general friendliness uh, that is shifting when it comes to the whole commodity index. Dean, overall, is your perspective as well in the near term to continue to see this rally in corn and soybeans? You know, you still have to feed that bull market. The bull market does need news, and um, I would expect unless we can get some unexpected rains to come through Nebraska and Iowa very shortly, I would expect the market to continue to be fed. Uh, and it's going to take something real to get through that 420, 425 area. Thanks, Dean. Dean Hefta, Water Street Solutions, Dewey Nelson reporting. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, Omaha's hosting the Pinnacle Bank Championship at the Club of Indian Creek this week. number of players with Nebraska ties are involved in this one. The 72-hole tournament started up today with a $600,000 purse. Another golf news, Jordan Spieth is in the early mix at Royal Birkdale as he tries to add a British Open title to his collection of major championships. Ian Poulter also had quite the day making only one bogey on his way to a 367 that gave him the early clubhouse lead among early finishers. Well, the Dodgers are bringing home their longest winning streak of the season, seeking a 12th victory as they host Atlanta tonight. L.A. has won 31 of its last 35 games, its best stretch of that length ever. Well, Brandon Moss doubled off the wall in the ninth to score the tying run, and former Husker Alex Gordon drove him home with a sacrifice fly to bail out closer Kelvin Herrera and give the Royals a much-needed 4-3 to come-from-behind victory over Detroit. Gordon says after the Royals' 1-4 and start after the All-Star break, they needed this one. Uh, the way we were playing, you know, struggling to win games, we'll take it any way that we can get it. So uh, it's a big win for us. Mossy, great game. Uh, he really did, that, did it all in the ninth right there, and I was just able to, you know, put the ball in play. Moss homered in the third inning before coming through against Tigers closer Justin Wilson in the ninth. And despite their recent struggles, Kansas City still just two games back of Cleveland in the AL Central. 
Creighton women's basketball team announced this year's non-conference slate. They'll take on South Dakota and Nebraska on the road on November 14th and 19th. Now the matchup on the 19th against the Huskers will be an interesting one. It will feature the Kissinger sisters from Minden. Brooke will be playing her first season at Creighton after setting out last year after transferring from Illinois. And Taylor will be a freshman this year for the Huskers. And Henrik Motorsports has picked 24-year-old Alex Bowman as Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s replacement for next season. Bowman has big shoes to fill. Earnhardt has won NASCAR's Most Popular Driver Award 14 times and the seat in the number 88 car is one of the most coveted in the Cup Series. But Bowman has one big fan already on his side, Junior. After announcing his retirement earlier this year, Earnhardt tapped Bowman as a logical successor way back in May. That is a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. Yesterday, Miss Nebraska 2017 Allison Dejan stopped into the KRV in studios. One of the topics she discussed was the fact that the Miss Nebraska and the Miss America pageants are primarily scholarship pageants. The scholarships are incredible. So let's take, for instance, when I was first runner-up in 2015, I didn't win, but I still walked away with $6,200. That was huge to, I mean, not even win Miss Nebraska, but to walk away with that much money. As winning Miss Nebraska, I walked away with a little over 13000 And so I'm on the track to graduate from UNL completely debt-free, which is incredible, and that's huge. And so the scholarship money essentially is what led me to compete for Miss Nebraska. Any participant in the Miss Nebraska pageant receives a $1,000 scholarship just for competing, and Tejan puts that in perspective with a larger Miss America pageant. Miss America is actually the number one provider for scholarships in women across the world. So they provide more scholarships for women than anyone, which I think is amazing, and I'm happy to be a part of it. A native of Chester, Nebraska, with a population of 232, Allison talked about what it means to her to represent Nebraska on the world stage at the Miss America pageant in Atlantic City. It means that, you know, no matter where you're from, no matter what town you grow up in, it truly does not matter. If you put your heart and soul into something, you can't let where you're from stop you. That honestly helped me, I think, because it truly made me such a well-rounded person. I mean, I learned how to work hard, not just in sports, but in school, like helping my dad on the farm. You know, you truly learn that what hard work means and how hard work can pay off. I think I learned that truly because I was a small town farm girl in the great village of Chester. Allison was crowned Miss Nebraska in June and leaves for the 2018 Miss Nebraska pageant in Atlantic City on August 30th, and the top 15 contestants will compete live on ABC on Sunday, September 10th. An Amber Alert was issued in Omaha shortly before 5.30 p.m. yesterday for an 8-year-old boy. The boy, Driver Smith, was reportedly taken by his father, 33-year-old Michael Westerholm. The suspect's car was spotted at a Fremont gas station around 7.10 p.m., and as Fremont police responded, the suspect fled, leading to a short pursuit. Westerholm was later taken into custody without incident, and the child was found safe. Westerholm was previously arrested on July 5th, accused of trespassing at an Omaha hospital. In a conference call yesterday, Adrian Smith, Nebraska's 3rd District Congressional Representative, talked about the importance of NAFTA. Those of us representing agriculture for several months now have reminded the administration that we don't want to undermine the successes of NAFTA and the increases in ag exports that I think have resulted from NAFTA for several years now. I'm confident that the administration has heard us. Uh, they have let us know that they are, are aware of that. They do not want to undermine uh, the successes, certainly in agriculture and, and other areas as well. 
The Trump administration, after calling for ending NAFTA, has recently said they would like to renegotiate the trade deal with both Canada and Mexico. We want your news, videos, and photos. Tip us under the news tab at krvn.com. In the News Center, this is Brandon Bennett. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish. We're going to get an update on the Fair Repair Act legislation in the Nebraska legislature. That's LB67, otherwise known as Right to Repair. Tony Baker is with us, legislative aide for Senator Tom Brewer, who is one of the supporters of this legislation. So, uh, Mr. Baker, give us an update. How does uh, the Fair Repair Act stand right now? Well, uh, hey, good afternoon, uh, Joe. Thanks for having me on. And we found out right when we were doing the bill drafting that Senator Lydia Brosh had already introduced the bill. So Senator Burr became a co-sponsor of the bill along with a number of other senators. This is the second time this legislation's been in front of the Nebraska legislature. This latest rendition is called LB67. Well, Senator Brewer certainly in support of this legislation. Tell us why he put his support behind it. Well, I, I like to tell people a story when they ask me that question. Um, I got a young son. He's 21. He's got an old beat-up Volkswagen car. One day he had an idiot light come on in the car, warning light. So he went to the car parts store. Guy came out with a handheld computer, plugged it in. The computer gave him a code. Code said his whatchamacallit valve was bad. And wouldn't you know it, the auto parts store sold the valve. Luke bought it, installed it in his car, and down the road he went. Now, the question I ask folks is where in that entire transaction was the Volkswagen Corporation consulted? Where were their intellectual property rights infringed? Where were their copyrights or their patents on their various things in their car? Where were those things infringed? And it's a rhetorical question because the answer to all those is never. Never once was Volkswagen consulted, and never once did they suffer any injury in the, in the regard of patents or copyrights or intellectual property. And that's because back in about 2012, the U.S. Patent Office issued a ruling, and what that did was it opened up the automotive industry such that individuals could have the repair specifications and the diagnostic and test equipment and special tools they needed to fix the various different makes and models of cars and light trucks that are out there on the road. And it was understood that providing that uh, diagnostic equipment, tools, specifications, and so forth was not violating anybody's patent rights or copyrights, et cetera, et cetera. That's the way it works with cars. Now, same exact story, and I got this phone call from a constituent some months ago. He's got a brand-new shiny combine bought from one of the major ag equipment manufacturers. He was out there in his soybean field. It was in the middle of harvest. They'd park the combine for a little while to go in and eat dinner. Thunderstorm rolled through. Bolt of lightning hit the combine, fried the little onboard computer that runs everything on the machine. So being the thrifty farmer that he is with low commodity prices that we have, he got online. He found the cheapest uh, replacement part he could. He waited for the you know, FedEx guy to show up. He took the part. He went out there. He installed it on the combine himself, like farmers have done for generations. They've fixed their own stuff. And lo and behold, the screen says, I need your login, ID, and password. Well, he didn't have those credentials. Uh, the thing prompted him to contact the local dealer, and a technician would have to come out. And Of course, he had to pay for that to do the login and ID so he could get in and configure his new computer and, and just configure the operating system to the point the thing would even start. Until that was done, he had a $375,000 paperweight. 
all he was trying to do was restore the machine to its original intended purpose, the reason he bought it. And he doesn't have the private property rights of ownership because when you pay for something and you own it and it's yours, then you should be able to do whatever the heck you want with it. The problem is, as technology has continued to advance, companies have seen an opportunity where when you buy something, you have to sign an end-user agreement. And what that end-user agreement does is it takes away private property rights, in Tony Baker's humble opinion and obviously in the opinion of many others uh, that are supporting the Right to Repair initiative. Government's first duty is to protect the individual rights and liberties of the citizen. And I think in this particular case, technology has caused, information technology has caused the pendulum to kind of swing a little bit too far over in favor of the manufacturers. And they, like the automobile industry, should be put in a position where, listen, nobody's trying to hack your source code, steal your, you know, your patents or your ideas or anything like that. All they're trying to do is fix their stuff in the most ep- economical way possible. And fixing the stuff yourself is the cheapest way to fix, fix stuff. Now, when corn was 8 bucks a bushel, maybe it's not that big a deal to get a tech out there. But when corn's 3 and a quarter, it, you know, you got to pinch every penny. And um, I, I think this legislation is designed to restore some of those ownership and private property rights back to individual citizens and, and, and treat ag equipment in this case no different than my son's old beat-up Volkswagen car. And so the, the arguments against it are patent, copyright, and intellectual property right infringement and, and kind of this safety argument that, you know, if you change, if you give the owners all the rights to do this themselves, they could create machines that are dangerous, and, and that was kind of the argument. Now, each one of these arguments, if you go to the Right to Repairs website and you read what the national... Uh, folks organizing this effort. They've debunked all of these arguments. Nobody's trying to steal anything or nobody's trying to, you know, make anything unsafe. All they're trying to do is be given the ability of what an owner would ordinarily have uh, to get the machine to, you know, function in the manner intended why they bought it in the first place. Baker added that urban senators could also jump on the Fair Repair Act legislation during next year's session because of constituents using personal electronic devices. Now, the Right to Repair or Fair Repair Act currently in the Judiciary Committee, and he says more input is needed for that bill to advance. Senator Tom Brewer's legislative aide, Tony Baker, has been our guest here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Joe Gangwish. We're joined by Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. And, Joe, we had another um, somewhat volatile day in these livestock futures and the day sharply lower. Yes, we did. Uh, probably not as volatile as it was uh, yesterday. But, uh, once again, uh, when you get triple-digit losses or gains, you have to say the volatility is still in the, in the market. And that proved up to be the case again. Uh, I think uh, the market uh, off a bit today because a little disappointment that we didn't see more uh, aggressive uh, buying by uh, the Packers. Uh, and that, uh, I think, came as a disappointment. And we, we retracted some of the uh, gains that uh, we had uh, yesterday. But uh, uh, all in all, I think uh, going into tomorrow with the cattle on feed report i think there was some profit taking also to uh, show up both in the cattle and the feeders so i think all eyes will be focused on that uh, cattle on feed report and the inventory report uh, 
uh, it'll be a, a double shot tomorrow. So it'll be a very important uh, 2 o'clock uh, findings. Over in the hogs, uh, we finished uh, mixed and mostly lower, led by uh, the nearby uh, August contract. Cash seemed to be just a little bit softer, but nothing uh, spectacular. Cutouts uh, had been lower yesterday. Um, tried to bounce back today, but did not. Um, and it, uh, we just maintain this huge uh, discount right at the moment. The uh, index seems to be slipping just a little bit now, but uh, we're still eleven dollars, uh, approximately eleven dollars discount. So. Uh, look for a little bit more stability. Thanks, Joe. Holdridge Public Schools is the latest to start their journey towards having local beef in the schools program. And Todd Hilliard, superintendent, tells us a little bit about the background behind starting the program. Yeah, there are several different reasons for that. The Our local ag producers, and I think I can say statewide, but I, I know for sure in the Holdridge area, have been great about supporting uh, Holdridge Public Schools in a lot of different ways. And this is not only one little way that we can give back to them, but it's also um, in, in a way that we can um, highlight our local beef and provide maybe a little fresher product in our school lunch program. So I think it works for our, our area producers, um, gives them an option for some of their beef, and um, also works for our students and staff in that they can have that pressure locally raised beef in the lunch program. Todd, where are things currently standing, and how has that planning process gone for you in the district? Rich and Sue Waller, they approached me several months ago, and we went to a beef in schools conference that was held in Hebron. We were We were all very interested in the program at the time, and we went to that conference to learn a little bit more about the program and how it works and and at that point rich and sue took it upon themselves to contact some of our uh, local ag producers our local uh, beef producers and uh, try to get a committee together that can help us with the planning and get all the nuts and bolts of the program worked out and so we've had quite a few meetings and um, just really taking our time and trying to make sure that what we kick off this fall is a good program and we've really taken into account all of the, the different components that we need to be thinking about. This fall when the program kicks off, what are you hoping that it will look like this year? Our goal at this point, and, and we're very optimistic that we can achieve it, is that we have all of the ground beef that we use in our school lunch program, uh, preschool through 12th grade, all of that ground beef will be from locally raised um, animals and, and donated by our local producers. So we're excited for that. To my knowledge, Holdridge would be the largest school district in the state to uh, take the beef in schools program to that extent. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different schools that maybe do one day a month or one day a year or some other alterations of that. But we're optimistically hoping that we um, can work closely enough with our local producers and have it be 100% locally raised beef uh, for the entire school year this year. Obviously, this is an ongoing project. It's not completely done yet. So what are going to be some of those next steps for you in the school district and those that are hoping to make this happen? Yeah, we're still trying to iron out kind of the details on some of the paperwork that we need, but we're getting pretty close to that. We do have another uh, committee meeting Thursday. We like to do noon meetings and feed them some 
good locally raised beef at those meetings and, and iron out some of the details that we need to. We have had three producers at this time who've already donated uh, cattle for the program, and it's in the process of being made ready for the lunch program. Uh, Steakmasters in El- Elwood is doing that for us. And uh, those local producers that have donated already are 37 Cattle Company, McClimate Feedlot, and Brent Sonneson. So we're excited to have them on board, and I know we have others that are very excited to, to donate when uh, the beef is needed as well. We've been talking with Todd Hilliard. He's the superintendent of the Holdridge Public Schools, discussing their Beef in the Schools program, which they have been working on and plan to kick off this fall. For the Roll Radio Network, I'm Jesse Harding. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network, talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. We'll start with soybeans. They led the way today. Well, percentage-wise, it might even have been corn, John. Yeah, corn had the best day, and, and I'm even going to say bean, uh, wheat didn't. You, you can't discount the day it had. It went down uh, much like last night. We open lower and then trade higher as the session goes on, and then we come back in the morning, and I think the same type of sell action started it, and then uh, that midday model run came out and didn't show any changes, and all of a sudden we're back on the bid, and it actually closed really well. Uh, corn, not just a little bit off of ties, and, and uh, beans and, and wheat as well. But, uh, again, I'm more more concerned here, corn, the next two weeks for uh, for the weather forecast out your way. I know you guys have gotten some rain, but I think east of Lexington towards Omaha, uh, and then you get up north towards Sioux City, and that, that kind of square big block uh, east of I-35, or west of I-35, and then north of I-80. I think that's really where the concern is right now for a lot of folks here in Chicago, given that uh, there's no irrigation there in Iowa, and it's starting to get real dire. All right. Overall, of course, the people who got the rain really didn't need it in some extent, and there's more rain in the forecast for the eastern Corn Belt. And again, those areas may not need it as bad as, as some of the others, of course. No, and we're actually at a point now I think we could turn it off a little bit. I mean, the heat's here, so it's certainly not, it's welcome, but you know, we've gotten to a, to a level now where we're fine. Uh, you go south of here, though, it's not as, as, as plentiful. You know, this ridge that's kind of formed and brought rains up through Minnesota has missed a lot of the central Illinois area, so while things look good there, I think, you know, you get into uh, another couple of weeks of this, and uh, that's what we're looking at. Nothing's really changing, I think that's why this market starts to, to move here. So, what do you do? I, I think, for me, it's about physical corn. I think the basis remains weak for the next 30 days. Once we get through August and that old crop contracts, you know, wrap up, I think, and the basis comes in. So, for me, I think the board is where you want to be through August 31st, and after that, I think physical corn really looks to perform. I, I, the basis is going to have to work itself higher to pry it from some of these guys out your way. It's just too weak, in my opinion. Okay, so you're saying, too, that uh, you might want to play a waiting game to some extent, too, when it comes to marketing? I would. I wouldn't. Well, my point is, HTA at for the new crop, meaning lock in futures and leave the basis open. For the for the short term here, I like the board. I think there's a lot more upside on the board than there is in the basis. But, you know, every single year since really 07, we've had a chance really to sell something in the cash level near $4. And as you, you know, your farmers out that way can attest, they're nowhere. They're like 365, which is essentially where we've been throughout the entire growing season. Thanks, John. John Payne. Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. I'm Dewey Nelson.